quarantining <laughs> our family. We had contact with somebody. Uh, so that was lots of fun. Uh, but I got to be in my own home for the whole day on Christmas Day. And this is the first time that's happened in years. So quarantine's not fun, but it was a nice little side blessing that happened as that, <clears throat> especially with a brand new house. And with it being the Sunday after Christmas, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm actually counting down the days until this year's over, right? 2020 has been a complete disaster. And uh, frankly, five days is what we got left. Feels like a long time right at this point as I'm eagerly awaiting a new year. And to be honest, my patience and my ability to cope with this year is just about gone. Five days is going to be a long time for me to hang on there until we hit a new year. Now, I know a new year isn't some magical moment with the turning of the calendar that all of a sudden all the problems are going to go away. <sighs> but I look forward to at least mentally thinking about a fresh start. But I got to be honest with you, I feel a little impatient about it. I feel tired with this past year, and I'm looking forward to the moment when we have something exciting and new coming, when things get back to a sense of normal. So with the idea of not so patiently waiting for relief, waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled, waiting for answered prayers, and waiting for what's next, I wanted to talk to you this morning about a biblical person who is a, the perfect example of waiting. So we're going to look today in Luke chapter 2. If you want to turn with me, if not, I'll put it up on the screen. But we're going to look today at the life of a man named Simeon. And Simeon's the perfect person for us to talk about today because this story actually happens um, after the nativity, probably about 40 days after the nativity that we're going to look at today. And there's not a lot in the Bible that we read about Simeon. But the couple of things we do read, he can teach us about how to wait well for what God has for us. I'm going to read through the whole account here, and then we'll go back and pick out different details. But let me read the whole thing for you. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, I'm sorry, I'm starting at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said about the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts where the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, 
Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This account is only mentioned here in Luke. It's a very small piece of scripture. And yet I find that there's a lot in there that's significant for us who are waiting. Now that waiting can be a lot of different things. For Simeon, it was waiting to see the promise of a child born, the Messiah. But for us, we all have different things we're waiting for. Maybe we're waiting for a family member to have an encounter with Christ. Maybe we're waiting to hear about a job opportunity. Maybe we're waiting for a healing. Maybe we're waiting for a change of circumstances. Maybe we're waiting for something that we've been holding on to for a long time. Like, God, I, I just trust you, and, and, and it just seems like it's taking forever. But, God, I, I'm waiting for you to move and intervene in this area of my life. This is the first post-birth event that we read about with Jesus and his family. This is taking, about, taking place about 40 days after the birth of Jesus and probably a whole year before the wise men had come. So this is the first thing that we really get some insight into Jesus as his child. It's when Mary would go to the temple for her post-birth purification rites where she would offer the sacrifice. And here it says that she offered either a pair of doves or two young pigeons because she was coming from a poor family. Also taking place on this day, Mary and Joseph was consecrating Jesus, their firstborn son. There was also a special time uh, that coincided with the purification rituals of a Jewish woman after she gave birth, where they would take their firstborn son and they would have him consecrated to the Lord. This was that moment. So consequently, Mary and Joseph had traveled to Jerusalem in the temple there. And once they were there, they encountered a man named Simeon. The only description we get of Simeon in the whole birth account is found right here in these verses. He's nowhere else in the Bible. And we read about he was righteous, he was devout, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So one of the first things we learned about Simeon was that here is a man that God had promised him, that Simeon, you have been waiting, you have been waiting for, for the Messiah, you have been waiting for this moment. And God promised him, you will not die until you have seen the Messiah, until you have encountered him. And so Simeon was waiting. 
Now, we don't know how long he had been waiting. Had he just received this promise? Probably not, because I don't think they'd be like, hey, he was waiting, and then he could die. I mean, generally speaking, when I only have to wait two minutes, it's not really worth writing about, right? So here's a man who had probably been waiting for some time to see the Messiah. But it doesn't really matter how long it is that he waited. Because I think we can all relate to having to wait different amounts of times for things. And so we can find ourselves in the story of Simeon waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. So last week, week and a half, no, two weeks ago, sorry, I had to finish all my Christmas shopping. Because, you know, I'm on top of things, so it's always the last week, right? How many of you can relate? Yeah, how many of you don't want to admit it in front of the person that you bought the last minute gift for? All right, I'll say that now. I won't say it next service, because Steph will be here, so she'll know I waited until the last minute. But I go on into the store to pick up a last-minute stocking stuffer. And then I hopped in the line at the register. Now, it was a smaller store, so they only had about three or four registers. And only one of those four registers was open. The line was pretty long, because everybody was in the same boat as me. We're all buying last-minute stuff, so we're all kind of funneling into this one line. And there was a... um, not very quick-moving cashier, ringing everyone up. And so I waited. And I waited. And I took one or two steps forward. And I waited. And I waited. And while I was waiting, I kept saying to myself, why aren't they opening up another line? Don't they see there's customers here waiting? The cashier should be calling for help. Have somebody come up and help them. I was getting more and more frustrated and irritated. Now, don't tell me you can't relate. I know that when you're in line and you're only moving up baby steps, you're thinking to yourself, come on, open up another line. Please, somebody come get me. And then you see the other person in line trying to, like, squeeze in there, you know, sometimes in front of you. It was very frustrating And even though, honestly, the wait was probably less than 10 minutes, it felt for me like it was an eternity. The reality was, in spite of how I felt, it was only a mild inconvenience, if it was really even an inconvenience to have to wait in line. And my wait time wasn't anything worth reporting to the news about. So that... I really think about what it must have been like for Simeon. If, if something so inconsequential was like frustrating, annoying to me, I wonder what it was like for Simeon, waiting to see something major, waiting for the promise of the Messiah. Maybe you've been waiting. Maybe you've been praying for a change in your job. Maybe you need a financial miracle. Maybe it's been a stressful couple of weeks for you. 
Maybe you just learned of a need yesterday and are praying for an answer. It doesn't matter. Sometimes that waiting process can feel like insurmountable. But let's learn from Simeon. How do we wait well? And when I look through these scriptures, the first thing that comes to mind and how to wait well is Simeon was an active waiter. Let me just read real quick a couple of verses. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. There's a lot of things that these scriptures could have pointed out about Simeon. It could have pointed out whether he was a priest or not. It could have pointed out um, that he was really kind, really patient. It could have pointed out a lot of different things. But scripture chooses to focus on one thing. The condition of Simeon's relationship with God. It says he was devout and he was righteous. Each of these words are used to indicate that Simeon was in right standing with God. Specifically, Luke's use of the word translated to mean devout means that Simeon was careful to remain in proper reverence to God. I.e., Simeon was actively seeking to remain close to the Heavenly Father while he was waiting. To have an obedient heart and have a proper attitude of fear and love towards God. That's really important because sometimes when we're waiting, our natural tendency is to really think about ourselves and get frustrated. Why isn't things changing, God? God, why don't I see a difference? God, why isn't this person coming to church? God, I'm worried about my finances. Our, our attitude tends to become frustration or fear. <clears throat> but Simeon's attitude was he took that time to make sure that he was remaining close to God. Let's talk about this particular day that Simeon encounters Mary, and you'll see what I mean. There's some reason throughout scriptures to believe that Simeon was, was a priest, the way this particular passage of Scripture is written seems to indicate that it was normal for Simeon to have been at the temple that day. So it was probably normal for him to be there when parents were bringing kids, babies, to be, to be consecrated. In fact, post-birth purification rites, dedication of firstborn sons, would have probably been a regular occurrence there at the temple. It was the only place that you could do those things and make the sacrifices. So there was nothing particularly extraordinary about the fact that Mary and Joseph would have been there that day. There's nothing about them that should have attracted the attention of Simeon. He could have easily missed the Messiah that day had he been caught up in focusing and how uncomfortable it was for him to wait for the Messiah. See, the thing about our human nature is we tend to get really impatient and frustrated when we have to wait, when we don't get what we want. 
The Bible talks about how we're in this state of the now and the not yet, right? We're redeemed, but we're waiting for the day of the fullness of redemption. That can be frustrating. We're sanctified, but we're waiting for Christ to perfect that sanctification within us. We've been raised to life, but in the meantime, we got to deal with a fallen world. We're part of God's kingdom, yet his kingdom isn't fully realized here on earth. And we have to deal with less than perfect situations. There's so much great things about what God has promised, but it can be so frustrating when we aren't seeing those things come to be yet. And we can get caught up. Our hearts can get restless, and sometimes we begin to to lose hope and focus more on the circumstances around us than on the promises God has spoken to us. And Simeon could have easily had done that and totally missed what God had. Have any of you been in a situation where you feel like, hey, I just totally missed something God was doing, and I wish I was more ready or paying more attention? But our scripture says that Simeon was moved by the Spirit. On that day when Jesus and Mary and Joseph had come to the temple, Simeon was moved by the Spirit to go into the courts. He was moved by the Spirit and has this encounter where he gets to see the Messiah. I believe that was only, that was only possible for him to have been moved by the Holy Spirit like that. Because he had been active while he was waiting, actively pursuing his relationship with God, actively remaining in this state of devoutness where he made sure his relationship with God was strong while he was waiting. He wasn't being lazy. He wasn't thinking to himself, after I have this encounter with the Messiah, then I'll pursue God more. After this encounter with the Messiah, then I'll think about what more I can do for God. Instead, during this time of just waiting, he pursued God with all of his heart. And it paid off because it made him sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit said to him, Simeon, move, go into the court now. Simeon was in a place where he could hear the voice of God. Waiting can be a time where we cultivate our own relationship with God. <clears throat> Preparing our hearts to hear from God takes work. It doesn't just happen, and we don't just wait for a moment and all of a sudden it happens. We have to cultivate this thing in our hearts. We have to train our eyes and ears to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Simeon did that well, and he was in position for that. When God said move, he moved. Simeon goes to the baby, he takes the baby, and he recognizes immediately because of the Holy Spirit working in his heart that this is the promise that he's been waiting for. <clears throat> we're going to turn, we're going to read the next portion of Luke, sorry. Luke, verse 27. Moved by this spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God. Now listen to what he says. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. That's pretty intense. God, I've seen your promise. Now I, I can die. That, that's pretty intense. But listen to what else he goes on to say. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon takes the baby Jesus. And he starts to give praise. I've been waiting. Now the promise is here. God, you are great. God, my eyes have seen the salvation. And look at kind of the three areas he hits on. My eyes have seen your salvation. So the first thing is he's giving praise. God, I have seen your salvation. Then he says, the, um, at the end of there, he says, this, this promise, this child, is the glory of your people Israel. So he recognizes that, God, this isn't just me. This is my whole nation here. But then he says something really, really interesting. Right before that, he says this, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. See, originally, it seems like Simeon's only concern was for his country and for himself. You know, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, is how it's stated. There's a sense of nationalism in that. We, the Israelites, we're waiting for you, God. I'm waiting for you. I want to see this miracle. God, we as a nation need to see your Messiah. And his focus is really kind of on what he knows and has experienced. But in the middle of his praise, something happens. Simeon's view is widened. He says, this child, God, thank you that he is going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon's view of what God was doing just widened from what he wanted to see happen in his own life and in the life of those that were close to him, his family, his Israelites, to now he was seeing something bigger that God was up to. To be honest, when I have to wait for something, no matter what it is, whether it's my food at a restaurant or whether it's waiting for my son. I love my son, Daniel, but he is one of the slowest people I have ever met in my life, especially when you are ready to walk out the door. Do you have a child that when you say, okay, guys, we're leaving in five minutes. I need you to put your shoes on. In six minutes, they come to put their shoes on, right? And they're like, well, you said we had five minutes. I said, no, we're leaving in five minutes, not get ready in five minutes, right? And and sometimes I'm not really good about waiting like that because I start to think about how this all affects me. I start to think about, come on, Daniel, I'm going to be late. This is why I told you five minutes ago. Come on, come on, come on. Or I start to think about back to the register. Listen, I'm a very important person. I got stuff I got to get to do here today. This long line is interfering with that. Now, listen, I know I'm not a very important person, but that's what I think in those moments, right? Like, I got stuff I got to do. And my focus tends to actually narrow, not widen. Because I think about how all this is affecting me. I've prayed, and I'm waiting for an answer to God. And now I've got to deal with this until God moves. This is hard for me. How long do I have to wait for God to do something? How long do I have to wait? God's doing stuff for other people. Why isn't he doing it for me? Why isn't my life easier? 
my view begins to narrow to myself. And I know that's a silly example of waiting in line at the, at, at the store to buy stuff. But I think in that silliness, we begin to see really what's going on in our hearts as people. Our natural inclination is that our eyes turn inward. My thoughts weren't at all about that cashier working. How frustrated she probably felt with this long line of people. Wasn't thinking about how many people had been rude to her for the day. Wasn't worried about the person who should have been called to come up here and they had other responsibilities they were trying to get done. I didn't care about whether the store was understaffed and whether or not they were all stressed out because I was stressed out and that's all that mattered. I didn't care about in that moment how God wanted to use me to maybe make a difference in their lives. All I was focused on was I just want to get out of here because I got stuff to do. But that's the nature of the human heart. Our vision tends to close in on us. But when I go back to my first point, and I'm actively pursuing God while I'm waiting, I've learned to be sensitive to his Holy Spirit. When I push into God's presence and I'm feeding my spiritual life, my view of God tends to widen and not narrow. And I no longer am the center of my universe. Instead, I start to see what God is up to and it's something bigger than just me. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care a lot about our needs. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about us and our struggles. He does. He cares very much so, very deeply, very passionately for each of us as individuals. But I am not the only person in God's kingdom. And God doesn't want me to be the only person in his kingdom. My view needs to be bigger and greater. Simeon was the first one to recognize and vocalize that the Messiah wasn't just about saving his own nation. He saw that God wanted to redeem a lost and hurting world. The Messiah cares about our needs, but he yearns for all creation. He wants to use us to be a part of his plan to transform a world. But if we're just focused on ourselves while we're waiting for God to do something great in other people's lives, we're missing the bigger view. If you've ever been waiting for God to fulfill a promise, to intervene in a crisis, to change a situation, to heal a loved one, to provide for a need. It's easy to become all we see is ourselves. But God wants to widen your view. God wants to use your struggles to touch the lives of others. He wants to use your experiences to give wisdom to others. He wants you to be a light to those who are in darkness.
while we're waiting, how about if we ask God to widen our view, to, to, to cultivate within us a heart that beats not just for our needs, but for the lost, to give us a burden for others, to help us recognize that God is at work and his work is bigger than just us. As a good pastor, I have three points. So here's number three. Let your heart be revealed. So after praising God, Simeon goes on to bless the child. And in the process of blessing Jesus, he gives us a little bit of a prophecy about him. He says, the child's father, oh, I'm sorry, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. And listen to what he says here. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Not a very encouraging prophecy if you think about it. I mean, consider this. You've just come to church for the first time with your newborn baby. You step into the sanctuary, and some crazy old man comes up to you, takes the baby, and starts spouting off that your child is going to cause the rising and falling of many. That a lot of people are going to speak out against your child. And the ugliness in human hearts are going to be revealed because of your kid. How many of you would be like, I love that prophecy for my child? We probably wouldn't, right? We'd probably be like, okay, what's going on here? Give me back my baby and call the police. Pretty sure I wouldn't take too kindly to somebody saying, my kid's about to be a problem for the world. <laughs> Doesn't seem like what we typically call a God moment, yet there was something definitely happening here that was a God moment. When Joseph and Mary are taking it all in and something is resonating within them because it says they marveled at everything that was said. The thing that really catches me about this moment is when Simeon says the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. The object of Simeon's waiting was going to reveal the thoughts of the hearts of people. You know, one of the things God wants to do while we're waiting for his promises to be fulfilled is he wants to reveal our hearts. He wants to reveal the things we're placing our hopes in. He wants to reveal who's truly king of our hearts. See, the process of waiting has a way of really outing our hearts. So many times as I'm waiting, I drift off center and I start to put my hopes in the wrong things. I place my hopes in a change of circumstances. I can't wait for this situation to change because then my life will be better. As if an external thing can really bring contentment. My heart begins to put other things or other people on the throne. 
I need this person to just do what I said. And then I'll find peace. My desires become many gods in my life. Comfort. I'll do whatever I need for comfort while I'm waiting. My will be done. I'm waiting and I feel anxious, so I have to do things to cause it to fall into place in my timeline. Half the time, I don't even recognize it. Because the nature of the human heart is it's very deceptive, right? Very rarely do our hearts want something that we don't want, right? So it's deceptive. And I don't recognize how my heart is leading me to other places. But in the end, God's biggest desire for us is not just a change of circumstances. It's not just for us to be blessed. It's not just for us to, to, to have comfort. Behavior change. Actually, in the end, God's biggest desire is for our hearts to be revealed so that he can transform our hearts. Does God bless us? Yes, he does. Does God change situations and circumstances? Yes, he does. But I think even more than that, God wants to encounter our hearts and change them. I remember as a kid wanting a Commodore 64 computer for Christmas. I was so excited. It was basically a keyboard that you'd plug into the television on the computer itself was in the keyboard. The keyboard was probably about like this thick. I don't know, I guess I had seen it in a commercial somewhere. And I was so excited. I wanted it so bad. I hope my parents would get it for me, and so I struggled to wait. I struggled to wait so much that one day, when my parents were out, I snuck into their bedroom to see if they had bought it for me for Christmas. I looked under the blanket that they used to hide everything so peeking little eyes wouldn't look, and I did look. And when I saw that it was there, it made me want it all the more. It's within my reach. snuck out of the room, covered everything back up, covered my tracks, but I made a mistake. I told my brother. <laughs> I told my parents, and they were so mad. When finally Christmas came and I opened the gift, I was so happy. Got it out, plugged it all in, couldn't wait. Got out the manual. And the thing about this computer is when you opened up the manual, it had in the back of it the list of programs, and you would have to type in all the commands to make the program run. Because it wasn't like modern today, where we had stuff on, you know, throw the CD in there, download it from the internet. You had to type in all the, the lines of code. And it would take you like an hour or two to type it all in. And if you made a mistake and couldn't figure out where it was, you have to start all over again. So consequently, my interest in that computer faded pretty quickly. Every time I wanted to play a game, having to type in that code, it was tedious, it was long. To play basically Pong. But guess what? In that moment, my heart was revealed. It was revealed because I wanted quick, easy, fast. 
And I had expected that computer to satisfy me. Now again, I know it's a silly little goofy little example. But how often do we do that though? With bigger things. We want something to satisfy us. Our heart longs for things that cannot satisfy. I quickly learned that not everything you saw in the commercial was exciting as it looked. <laughs> I put my hope in a new gadget. That's a popular thing now to put hopes in. If I can just get the iPhone 12, if I can get the PlayStation 25. Or we do it with our spouses. If my wife would just cooperate, if my husband would just cooperate, I'd be satisfied. I'd be at peace. If they would just respect me. We do it with our kids. If they would just listen. We do it at work. If they would just recognize how talented I am. If I just had a bigger house. If I just made more money. If I look just a little bit younger, just a little bit thinner, our hearts evaluate these things and we place them as our personal Messiah. But then as we're waiting, when we finally get the object of what we're waiting for, we realize it doesn't satisfy. Jesus has a way of revealing our hearts and what we put our hopes in. He uses waiting as a way to do it. You see, I was willing to compromise and disobey my parents and tell my blabby brother what I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway because my heart wanted it when it came to looking at, for that gift. And oftentimes when things rule our hearts, when we're waiting, we discover that we want it maybe a little bit too much. The Pharisees wanted a Messiah so they could cement their own power and control. The Israelites wanted a Messiah who could overthrow the current political and government oppression. But when Jesus was revealed as Messiah, people were disappointed and disillusioned that he didn't fulfill their expectations. You know why? Because they didn't want a Messiah. They wanted their own things. And they just wanted the Messiah to do it for them. And Jesus had a way that as he interacted with different people, he revealed their allegiances and heart desires. Some let that revelation lead them to change and freedom. I mean, I think about Nicodemus who came in the middle of the night, right? What do I have to do to be born again? Jesus explains it to him. And then him at Jesus' death is the one who goes and grabs the body, right? And then there's others. God, I've done everything, or Jesus, I've done everything I'm supposed to to see God. Now what? Well, go sell your money. Oh. Go give away your money. Go sell all your things. Oh. And what happens? He walks away and doesn't come back as far as we know. Some allow their hearts to be changed. 
Why others walk away angry, resentful, and sad. Simeon was an amazing example of what it means to wait well. He was active in cultivating his relationship with God during the waiting. He widened his view to look beyond just his own circumstances and see how God's heart was for others too, bigger than what he had. And then he recognized that God, the Messiah, reveals and changes hearts. I'll be honest, I've grown really weary of 2020. Right now, one of my favorite commercials on TV, and I don't watch a lot of live TV, but one of my favorite commercials, and I don't know, you may not like this, but is the Match.com commercial where Satan and 2020 are dating. And I'm like, that just seems to fit. <laughs> it's been a long year. I'm eagerly waiting for something new. But God wants to do something bigger in me. He wants my relationship to be closer to him. He wants our relationships to be closer to him. He wants to widen your view. To understand that there's a whole world out there. It's not just our need. He meets our needs, but then he wants us to consider others. And he, then he wants to reveal our hearts, not for the sake of morbid introspection, but so that we can bring those things to him and lay it down at his feet so he can bring transformation in our lives. Yeah, I want 2020 to be gone but I think I want God more. So let's rate ourselves this morning. Look at each of these three things. Are you being active in cultivating your relationship with God? Are you letting God widen your view beyond just yourself to a world who needs him? Do you let God reveal your own heart and then you bring that before him so you can bring transformation? What areas are you doing pretty good in? What areas do you need to ask him to help you in? Maybe waiting is right where God wants you to be this morning. Because maybe in the waiting, he wants to do a work in us, in you, in me. So that when the moment comes of the promise being fulfilled, we're right in that perfect spot where the Holy Spirit can move us. Let's pray.
Father God, I know that if, when we honestly look at these areas, that God, we do better in some, and we need your grace to grow in other areas. Father, I pray that you would help us to actively be cultivating our relationship with you and not just waiting for one day or waiting until we have enough time or waiting until this or that, but that God, in that process of waiting for you to move, that we would just be pursuing your face. God, help us to be close with you. And, and Father God, I pray that even when situations come that frustrate us and that bring struggles, that, Father God, you would help us to not become narrower, narrower in our view, but that, God, you would help us to see what you want to do around us. Father God, I know sometimes it's so easy for us just to think about ourselves. It's so easy for me, Father God, to, to, to get focused on myself, my comfort, and my feelings. But, but God, you are so much bigger than just me. So God, help us to have a bigger view of who you are and what you want to do. And Father, I pray that you would reveal our hearts. God, I think we'd all say that we want you to be the only king in our hearts, throne. <coughs> but God, sometimes little mini gods sneak in there. Sometimes, God, we get distracted and our hearts begin to long for things that, Father God, are second best to you. I pray that, God, you would help us to have hearts that have been revealed, and then we bring that to you, Father God, so that you can transform us, Lord. Father, I pray that 2020 wouldn't, or 2021 wouldn't be a year that, Father God, we're just looking for something else, something else, but that 2021 would be a year, Father God, where we're waiting well on you, Father, for you to do the work that you want to do in, in us, around us. Father, thank you for your word. And I just thank you for this time this morning, God, where we could hear from you. Thank you, Lord. God, we pray these things in the name of Jesus.